Welcome to Edgemont Bible Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois, where our mission is to glorify God by guiding people into a discipleship relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's listen in to today's message. Last week we talked about the Walk of Faith Part 1, and I know for some of you we reviewed the Gospel and you might have wondered, why did we do that? Well, the reason is, is you remember the story, um, I love to tell the story to those who know it best. Seems hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. Right, 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 right? Maybe? A couple of you are still awake. Good. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the reality is, is, the gospel is a very, very important part of the walk of faith. Now, we think of very often the gospel as something that we believed back here when we got saved, and therefore it was for yesterday, and it's for telling other people about it who need it today. And what I want you to catch today is the gospel is very, very important to your life today, tomorrow, the next day, until Jesus comes back. And even then, I imagine we're going to be reviewing it in our day to day. So uh, the walk of faith, part two. Uh, presently reading Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. I know many of you have read it years ago, and uh, it uh, probably made an impact on your life. I'm appreciating uh, the writing. But I'm also reading A.W. Tozer's... Um, the Crucified Life. And the, th the funny thing about A.W. Tozer is he's writing in the late 50s, early 60s, and he, his complaint about the evangelical church of the time is, <clears throat> well, a lot of people have this idea that if I go to church on Sunday morning and, you know, do the things that Christians are supposed to do and maybe not do some of the things that Christians aren't supposed to do, that me and God, we're good. And then as far as the church service goes, I was reading yesterday where he, he did not have an appreciation for the hillbilly music that was being played apparently in one of the churches. I imagine that might have been Southern Gospel. Who knows? It could have been Bluegrass or any number of other possible. Uh, but... Music apparently was an issue, and it, not so much for him as much as it was for the people that you had to be playing the right kind of music for us to want to go to that church, that kind of thing. Um, he thought that the church of uh, the late 50s, early 60s struggled with this idea that church was more about, um, you know, maybe, maybe a message to build you up a little bit, but it needed to be entertaining, now, do I have a problem with entertain, entertainment? Okay, I, I have no problem enjoying ourselves as we're going through the Word of God, okay? Uh, but there is a measure to which say the wrong thing and we will go someplace that will tickle our ears. Now, I really struggle with that one because I promised you somewhere in a rush I'm going to say the wrong thing. You know, that's just unfortunately the way it is. So that's our introduction as we consider walking by faith. 
Let's start with number one, faith for living. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, a very, very simple verse, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, how did we get saved? By faith. All right? And, and even that faith was a gift. It wasn't something you generated in and of yourself. It was part of the whole gift. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So can we say that if we're going to walk by faith, we need to understand that that is still part of God's gift. And it is by grace. It is not something you gin up inside of you. Okay, let's see. Well, uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, most of us, uh, we've just read it. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. What on earth does that mean? I know I talked a little bit about it last week, but uh, the word substance there is hypostasis, to set under, to support uh, essence or assurance, confidence, confident person, substance. So you, you could say that faith is the confidence of things hoped for. The word hope there is elpidzo, to expect, to confide, hope or hoped for or trust. So uh, faith is the confidence of things that you're trusting is going to come to pass. Um, the uh, evidence, the word evidence there is elekos, uh, proof, conviction, evidence, uh, reproof. So in this particular case, now faith is the confidence of things that are you're trusting God for, uh, the uh, conviction of things not seen. Okay, how many of you, don't raise your hands, but if you were to die today, you believe you would go to heaven? Yeah, I told you not to raise your hands. I gotcha. <laughs> uh, the reality is, is you are convinced in what God has said. You're looking forward to trusting that what He has said is true, and therefore this is going to be the result. That's what faith is: is having confidence, being convicted about what He said is true. Therefore, it's going to happen. Uh, a couple of verses to go with that, Matthew 6.30. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, uh, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Huh? See, when we get into Scripture, we start seeing things about faith. Uh, so number two, how faith is spoken of in the New Testament. Uh, the first verse here, we see that faith can be little. Now, Let's understand that when you are born again, God has already given to you everything that you need for uh, life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So you have all the faith you're going to get. But you can use a little of it, or you can use all of it. Uh, for example, uh, Jesus said, If you tell this mountain to rise up and be cast into the sea, believing... It's going to happen. How much faith does it take to do that? Has anybody tried that one? Well, I haven't been around any mountains lately, 
Well, actually, <laughs> uh, the reality is, is none of us would even think about that. And yet we look at that and say, wow, that's a lot of faith. And Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed. That's the smallest agrarian seed that the culture would have known. It's really, really small. You've got to hold your fingers together or else it's going to be blown away. Very, very little faith. And here Jesus is rebuking them for their little faith. Why? Because trusting God for clothing, for that which would protect them from the elements, was a difficulty. Even though God's proof that he was going to take care of them was all around them. Okay? How about uh, Matthew uh, 14.31? And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? So little faith uh, can be uh, based on uh, doubt. Uh, Why? Well, in this particular case, uh, Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to walk on the water. So uh, he says, come on. uh, Peter steps out of the boat, and you can imagine he's holding on. It's kind of like, okay, let's see how this goes. And as long as he's looking at Jesus, everything's kosher, right? And then he starts looking around. The waves are going, the winds are blowing, lightning and thunder, rain, and he starts to sink. And see, basically what it came down to was instead of believing what Jesus told him to do, He looked at everything around him and began to doubt. This is impossible. I can't do it. Uh, How about the next one? Matthew 16, 8, which you see in both cases, because doubt very often is related to reason. Uh, But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Now, think with me again. Yesterday, Jesus takes a few loaves and a couple of fishes and feeds 5,000. And on the way back, (coughs) sorry about that, (coughs) on the way back across the sea, he goes, I want you to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, right off the bat, Pharisees is in that statement. So what do you think he means by leaven? Hey, did you bring the bread? I didn't bring the bread. Did you bring the bread? Man, were we supposed to bring bread? They're thinking, but they're not thinking. (laughs) They're thinking about bread. We didn't pass all these this morning. I totally forgot. And Jesus is going, hmm, did you see what I did just yesterday? We're not talking about last week, last month. We're talking about yesterday. Come on, guys. Get on the same page with me. Your reasoning brings about doubt or little faith. What does Proverbs say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own reasoning, understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll direct your path. So it's not that you can't use your head, but you've got to go back to conviction about what God says which we'll talk about that a little bit more as we go along. So uh, we have little faith sometimes due to reasoning. And then the one that we've seen exemplified in the past couple of years, Matthew 8, 26. But he said to them, why are you fearful? 
O you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So faith can be small due to fear. Um, What do I know about my life? Well, first of all, I know that it's here today, gone tomorrow, right? Not in the literal sense of tomorrow, but my life is a vapor. Uh, It's like the grass that grows up in the morning, the flower comes out, and then the noonday heat comes on, and it kind of wilts, and before you know it, it's dead. That's what the Bible says about our lives. So, of course, we all come to the conclusion that uh, because of the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, we're sinners. We need what God is offering to take care of our sin. We need our Redeemer, our Savior, and uh, thankfully He died to pay for the wage of sin, not just the physical death, but the spiritual death that goes along with that. And uh, He rose again, proving that He is God, the sin's been paid for, and I'm trusting in Him. Hallelujah. So when I die, I'm going to heaven. Cool. Now we're talking about living by faith. That's just being saved by faith, okay? So all of a sudden we have a pandemic come along, uh, excuse me, pandemic come along, uh, a virus that the average death toll under COVID was 1.4%. Now they lied to us. And if you get upset because I say they lied to us, think with me. Yes, maybe they didn't know too much about it, but that would indicate that they didn't have something to do with the creation of it. What have we found out since then? We didn't know that back then. Okay, they told us all kinds of terrible things were going to happen. Your arms are going to fall off. Your nose would fall off. You would ultimately die and so on, so on, so forth. So what do we do? Well, we believe them. And nobody wants to die, right? I don't know, I was talking to Dave this morning. It's kind of like, man, I'm just looking forward to the day when Jesus comes back and this mortal puts on immortality and this corrupted puts on incorruptibility. We're, we're looking forward to Jesus coming back. Yeah, here's the thing. He might just come back for you all by yourself and nobody else. You know what that's called? Dying. Okay, can I tell you something? If you die, you're going to be totally healed. Physical problems will not be an issue anymore. Um, That's nice. Sin issues will not be a problem anymore. Hallelujah. But God forbid that we might die. Why? Well, kind of afraid of it. How many of you have died before? I have never died before. You know, the, the concept of dying is... Hmm, I'm not so sure, you know. And then someone tells you there's this germ that's going to kill you. And what do we do? We run around like chickens with our heads cut off and wonder, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? No, my days are written down in a book. And I am not staying here a day longer than the days that are written in that book. And I'm not leaving a day before. And oh, by the way, God knows what's going to kill me if that's how I go. Okay? And there's not a thing I can do about it. Not a thing. If it was going to be COVID, then I'd have gotten COVID. 
And because the government lied, there's no treatment. Yes, the government determined that treatment for any coronavirus all the way back in 2005, the best treatment available, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. But if that's a, a legitimate treatment, we can't have our emergency thing dingy going on. Okay? So no, we cannot have any of that. That's horse dewormer. They lied. And yet, Christians were just as worried about dying as unbelievers. That's called little faith. It's based on fear coming from reasoning with faulty information. So therefore, fear, false expectations appearing real. Fear. Now, if you weren't one of the fearful ones, well, good for you. Don't get too haughty about the whole thing. If you were one of the fearful ones, please understand, all we're doing is saying, come back to living by faith. Stop trusting in the government, your reasoning. What does God say? Be convicted about that. Confident. Trusting in it. Okay? So that brings us to uh, Matthew 8.10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, in this particular case, he's talking to a Gentile, and the Gentile says, You don't need to come back to my house. I am a man of authority. I understand if I tell this man to go, he's going to go. If I tell this man to come, he's going to come. So I know all you got to do is say the word, boom, it's done. And he goes, whoa, I have not seen this kind of faith in Israel, among God's people. Why can't God's people believe like this guy does? That's the idea. Okay? So notice, first of all, number one, Great faith brings healing, or if you will, purification. Matthew 9, 22. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. I believe that's the story about the woman that had the issue of blood for so many years. And she thought to herself, If I can just touch the hem of his garment, that'll be good enough. See, she believed, she had confidence in something God never said, you know, if you just touch the... No, she just had confidence. This guy's a healer. He's special if I can just touch his... Well, she did. Matthew 15, 28. And Jesus answered her and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Another miracle, uh, health healing. Acts 59. And made no distinction between us and them talking about the Gentiles and uh, Jews, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, in, in this particular case, you've got some Jewish people that come along and say, you know, it's great that the Gentiles are uh, believing in Jesus, but now they need to be circumcised. They have to get themselves under the law. And Paul, go back and read it in Acts chapter 15, Paul and the guy that was serving with him at the time, they got into a heated debate. You know what we call that today? An argument. Now, the reason why I say that is because, you know, if you're a good Christian, you wouldn't argue. I am sorry, 
Paul was a pretty good Christian. He was pretty passionate about truth. Can I tell you something? There is nothing wrong with being passionate about truth and arguing with people that are trying to bring about falsehood. Not only that, let me tell you something. If you're passionate about something, you might raise your voice. You know what we want to say as Christians? Don't yell. Oh, stop it. If you're passionate about something, chances are your voice uh, volume is going to go up. I was at an IFCA conference with Pastor Shar and Lynn were there. We're sitting at the dinner table, and I'm talking to this guy right next to me. And I was getting so loud, the whole table just, like we were arguing. It's kind of like we weren't arguing. I was just passionate. It's kind of like, sorry, guys. I didn't mean to be so passionate about that. Uh, I, uh, you know. Just saying. So it brings healing. It brings purification. How about brings a forgiveness of sins? Matthew 9, 2. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on the bed. When Jesus saw their faith, notice whose faith it was. Not the guy that was in the bed. It was his friends. He said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Which, of course, he does on purpose because he's creating a situation whereby truth can come forth. <coughs> and in so doing, once again, shows himself to be who he is. How about brings salvation? Luke 7.50, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, faith, great faith can be strengthened. Acts 16.5 So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily, 2 Corinthians 10, 15. Not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. So it can be strengthened, it can be increased. Again, you have all that you're going to get, but you can learn how to use more of it. That's the idea there. It uh, b- brings obedience. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7. The word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. There's another place, I believe it's in Thessalonians, where it talks about God bringing uh, fire and brimstone on those who did not obey the truth. So faith brings obedience something we might talk about next week. Uh, it's also great faith is according to grace, Romans 4.16. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. We see once again that faith is a gift. It's according to grace. It's not something you gin up. And then, of course, it also accesses grace, Romans 5, 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So not only does, uh, is faith according to grace, but as we walk in that faith, we access even more grace. That's the idea there. So that brings us to letter B, believing that he is. So uh, Hebrews eleven six says, For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's the rewarder of them that diligently 
seek him. So with that in mind, uh, let's take a look at believing that he is. In Proverbs 2.5, it says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, in, in Proverbs, the father is talking to the son and says, Look, if you look for wisdom like a man that is digging for gold, like one who is mining for silver. How easy is it to mine for silver or gold? Most of us, well, those of us that are older probably watch some old movies, you know, north to Alaska and all that kind of stuff. You do have some of the gold sitting in the river. You throw a little bit of the stones on the screens and go like this, and before you know it, you got some gold sitting in there. That's nice. But for a lot of people, it means digging into the ground. If you've ever seen uh, the movie, uh, the one down in Australia. Honey, what was that movie? Where they ran the horses down the hill. Come on, dear. Help me out here. Snowy River. Man from Snowy River. Okay? Uh, Kirk Douglas played a part in that movie, and he actually dug a, a cave into the rock. And... At the last, you know, five feet beyond where he died, uh, that's where they found the vein of gold in the second movie it's talked about there. But the uh, whole point being is digging for gold or mining for silver is not easy. It says, if you do that, verse 5 is the result. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. So basically, believing that he is is broken down into these two sections. The knowledge of God... And then number two, the fear of the Lord. First of all, his reminder that he is the creator and owner of us all. Throughout the scripture, you're going to see this over and over and over again. I've just got a few here for you. Psalm 89.11, the heavens are yours, the earth is also yours, the world and all its fullness, you have founded them. Psalm 96.5, for all the gods of the peoples are idols. But you, Lord, made the heavens. Isaiah 40, 22, dealing with the idolatry that was going on in Israel at the time. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable, and so on. Even in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, it says, because what may be known about God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So one of the things we're going to see in the knowledge of God is that he constantly reminds people in the Scripture that he created everything. He's the owner of it all. When we were, we were in Kansas City this past weekend visiting little Baker, two-year-old birthday and all that kind of stuff, and uh, Jason was making a uh, rack that he could hang his uh, cast iron pans on. So he's got a one by six, uh, six foot long thereabouts, and he ends up cutting it to five foot four. Cool. 
about an inch and a half down. He drills holes through so he can mount these hooks so he can uh, hang the cast iron pans. And then in the back, he wants it to lay flat against the walls, so he puts a drill into that hole, and that drill grabs and pulls it right in there. Now that screw is going to be hidden in there, but there's not any wood that the screw is holding to. And so he's thinking, I'm going to have to go to Home Depot and get another six-foot board. I go, why don't you just turn the thing over because the hooks will cover the old holes. He was happy as a lark because he didn't have to go to Home Depot and get another board. But he's already hung it, and he's got six pans hanging on it. It, it, it looks good, that kind of thing. But, you know, the Creator can do what he wants with what he creates. A uh, while back, uh, when uh, Travis uh, had sold his house down in uh, Cahokia, they were looking for a place to stay. They stayed with us for a period of time. While they were there... Uh, Dylan, Conway, and uh, Colt, we all uh, built something out of wood. Now, I let them go through my uh, wood magazines, and they each found a toy that they could uh, be a part of building. So I think uh, Dylan picked a helicopter, uh, a Chinook, and we made it out of uh, walnut and maple. And uh, Conway um, got a roadster from like the 1930s. And again, uh, I think his might have been oak and uh, walnut. And then uh, Colt wanted a tank. And his, again, I think was oak and walnut. So we, we made these things. And uh, when we were done, uh, I, having done most of the work, uh, decided that they could have them and take them with them when they left. Why? Because I was the creator. Now, we were following somebody else's plans, but... I was the creator. I don't know how many beds I've made for various people that I didn't decide to keep those beds. Why? Well, first of all, they paid for the material, but I, I was the creator. You know, uh, the creator can do that. If I had paid for the wood and the materials and all that and built it and then said, you know, I really like this one. Maybe I'll build one for you next week. Uh, that kind of a thing. But uh, that's the thing about God being the creator. Not only is he, but you wouldn't be if he wasn't. Okay? You just wouldn't even be here. How about he is above all? Psalm 8.1, the Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Psalm 57.3, he shall send from heaven and save me. He reproaches the one who would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. Psalm 57.11, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. And then, of course, Romans 11.23, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. That obviously is not the verse I intended. I believe it's uh, Psalm 11.33, I mean Romans 11.33. I'll let you look that up at your leisure. But he is above all. Uh, how about uh, letter C? Knowing him is directly related to our walk with him. Colossians. Got to find the verse now. I just lost it. Uh, I guess I threw in an extra verse. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. 
Imagine all those Jewish people in the Old Testament that are doing all of the offerings that God said should be done as a picture pointing to the ultimate sacrifice that would be made. But God turns around and says, you know, I really don't care about those things. What I want from you is not the knowledge of God. I want you to know me. That's more important than sacrifices. I desire mercy. That's more important than sacrifices. And then Colossians 1.10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So knowing Him is directly related to our walk with Him. And just in case, uh, 2 Peter 1, 2-9, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, what is multiplied because you know God? Grace and peace. It goes on to say, as His divine power has given us Uh, given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and virtue. Okay? So we have everything that we need to live life the way God wants us to live, to be godly in our outlook and our thinking. How? By knowing Him. And then uh, you've got a bunch of verses in there. uh, Diligently add to your faith, and it goes on. But in verse 8 it says... For if these characteristics that I've just talked about are yours and they abound, in other words, you're growing, you're becoming more like Christ, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the knowledge of God that motivates you to become more like Him. And the more you become like Him, the more you're going to understand the knowledge of God. Cool. Okay? So, knowing Him is directly related to your walk with Him. And that brings us to the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is He is not like us. Okay? It's it's understanding that and giving Him His proper place in our lives. Now, why is that so important? Well, in the Old Testament, you're going to see two complaints that God has about Israel regularly. Number one, You thought that I was just like you. That's what God says to Israel. You remember in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Define ungodliness. Now, most are going to start talking about all the bad things that people do. The reality is, is that's unrighteousness. What's ungodliness then? It's living life without taking God into account. Okay? When you don't take God into account, what can you do? Anybody ever ask, why on earth would someone want to be a serial killer? An assassin, I understand. You're getting paid. But a serial killer, I mean, I don't even like those kinds of movies. It's kind of like, they're stupid. You're not supposed to say that. It's in the Bible, okay? Not that serial killer movies are stupid, but the word stupid is in there, okay? Um, Really, it makes no sense. Like I say, if you're an assassin, you're at least getting paid for it. But 
when there's no pay? I just take pleasure in killing people. Oh, no, that's just wrong. It's weird, okay? But the reality is, is, <coughs> sorry, is when we come to ungodliness, when you think that God is like you or that you're not going to give an account, that's the second thing that God complains about in the Old Testament about Israel, then you, you're free to do anything. Kill a baby after it's been born for 30 days. Is that, is that not stupid? It's called infanticide, and yet representatives of two states have suggested that this be in a law, that a mother can make up her mind 30 days after the baby is born to kill it? Why? Because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Because, see, if there is a God, He is like me. If I think it's okay, He thinks it's okay. And I'm never going to have to give an account for this. Unfortunately, those representatives probably will never give an account even at the voting booth. Because the people that voted to get them in there, they'll either forget about it, or they want someone like that there. Ouch! So the fear of the Lord, He is not like us. Notice number one, His judgments are righteous. Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Uh, knowing Him brings hope. Psalm 33.18, behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear Him, upon them that hope in his mercy. Oh, I tell you what, I love mercy. Why? Because I have experienced it over and over and over again and know that someday when I stand before him, it'll be his mercy that got me there. Because if he ever were to judge me according to my sins, who can stand? No one. Okay? So I love mercy, and knowing him brings hope, and hope of mercy. Letter C, uh, the fear of the Lord can be learned. Hmm, interesting. Psalm 34, 11, come ye children, hearken unto me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Psalm 103, 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. So, uh, Proverbs 2.5, then you shall understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 23.17, let not thine heart envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long. So it's something that can be learned and increased in. And the fear of the Lord changes one's life. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, a good understanding. Have all they that do His commandments, His praise endures forever. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Hey, before we were saved, uh, without the fear of the Lord, we kind of enjoyed that evil. Pride, not a problem. I'm all that. Ask me and I'll tell you. Uh, arrogancy, same thing. Evil way, we went our own way 
followed the devil, etc. Proverbs 14, 27. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. So here, uh, the flesh wants to go the ways of, of itself, and that brings death. And the fear of the Lord brings life, and it gives us the grace to escape those snares. Uh, Proverbs 16, 6. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Now, when we understand who God is and what He's like, we understand His position is over us all. And with the fear of the Lord, we acknowledge that He is over us. That is what we call humility. It's recognizing we're us, He's Him, He's the boss, and that is walking by faith on a day-to-day basis. It's necessary. If you don't have that humility, if you're not giving Him His proper place, then you will walk according to your ungodliness and do unrighteous things. Why do we struggle with sin for so long? We sit there and say, well, I couldn't help myself. The temptation was too great. And I want you to understand something. It had absolutely nothing to do with how great the temptation was. It had everything to do with you didn't fear the Lord. Now, I am speaking as someone who has not feared the Lord all too many years of my Christian life. It's not that I didn't have a respect for Him. It's when it came down to it, I chose that which was pleasing to me rather than that which was pleasing to Him. Even though He had made allowance for me to choose what was pleasing to Him every single time. I didn't believe what He said, and I chose what I wanted. So when I say, when you're struggling with temptation and you can't help yourself, it comes down to you're not believing God and you're not giving Him His rightful place in your life. Go to the other side of your page there. The fear of the Lord brings blessing. Psalm 115, verse 13. He will bless them that fear of the Lord and both small and great. Proverbs 19, 23. The fear of the Lord tends to life. And the he that hath it shall abide satisfied, and he shall not be visited with evil. Proverbs 22.4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So the fear of the Lord brings blessing. That brings us to letter B. Believing that he is the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Again, uh, Hebrews 11.6, He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, when we think of rewards, <coughs> excuse me, uh, within the Scripture, in the New Testament, we're going to find there's, in essence, two types of rewards. First of all, inheritance. Okay, so that's your first blank. Inheritance is based on relationship. Okay? Okay. Um, If I were to pass today and my wife were to pass tomorrow, uh, all that we own, uh, once the state figured out what they wanted, uh, would be passed on to those that are in relationship with us. We have five kids. They're all married. They all have children. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Amen. And isn't that wonderful? But they would get it all. Guess who wouldn't get any of it? Y'all. 
because we're not related. See what I mean by inheritance? Now, it requires that there's a death in order for what they own to be passed on to what they're going to get or to, to those that will inherit. And so uh, our, someone has died, Jesus died, and we get based on our relationship with Him. If you have trusted Him, His death, burial, and resurrection, who He is, He is God come in the flesh, you have entered into the family and you get an inheritance. Okay? If you have not put your faith and trust in Him, you are outside of the family, you get nothing. Well, actually, you get something, but we'll talk about that another time. We actually did last week. Go back and listen to it. So that brings us to number one. <clears throat> Part of our inheritance is our present position. Let me read a couple of verses for you. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Romans 6, six. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Romans 6.11 Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 18 And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Ephesians chapters 1-3 through 3. Let me read it all for you. I'm not going to do that. Ephesians 1 through, uh, chapters 1, 1 through 3 says that we are saints in Christ Jesus. We are faithful in Christ Jesus. We are blessed in Christ Jesus. We are chosen in Christ Jesus. We are adopted in Christ Jesus. I love chapter 1, verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, whereby He has made us accepted in the Beloved. We are accepted in Christ Jesus. We are redeemed in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven in Christ Jesus. We are made alive in Christ Jesus. We are brought near to God in Christ Jesus. We have access in Christ Jesus. And then I have an etc. here. Okay? In chapters 1 through 3, there are at least 22, depending on how you want to read it, maybe 26, things that God says is true about us because we're in Christ Jesus. Now, that's our present position. We're dead to sin. We were crucified with Christ. We've been raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Believe it and do it. That's called walking by faith. That's part of our inheritance. Okay? How about number two, the present process? Or for filling in your blank, sanctification. Romans 7 and 8. Again, I'm not going to read the whole two chapters. The struggle against the law of sin to come to the realization, the complete need for God's Spirit to do whatever God has called us to do and be. That's what Romans 7 and 8 is all about. I tried. As a new creature, I tried, I tried, I tried, but there's this thing going on inside of me that I couldn't do it. Good. Now that I got you where you belong, understand 
That's why He gave you His Spirit, so that you could, by His grace, by walking in faith, by being filled with the Spirit, by walking in the fear of the Lord, by being humble, however you want to say it, you could finally be delivered from the law of sin and death. Because there's another law that's greater. That's what 7 and 8 is all about. Okay? Uh, How about uh, chapter 8, verses 10 to 14? And if Christ is in you, what does that mean? You're saved. (laughs) The body is dead because of sin. Huh? If your body is dead, we got a place for you right over here. Obviously, it's not talking about that concept of death, is it? It's saying, because of the law of sin in this body, you can't do anything that's pleasing to God. Okay? The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the Spirit of God lives in you. You have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And when you learn how to walk by faith, you're going to experience life. You can finally do something that God is pleased with. goes on to say, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, what does that mean? You're saved. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. He's going to give you the capacity, the power, however you want to say it so that you can actually live the way God wants you to live. That you can actually be the person that God has saved you to be. He goes on to say, Therefore, brethren, you're not debtors to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. Now, We're going to grab a hold of that last statement there, the second to the last statement. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you're going to live. You're going to sit there and say, okay, I got this problem with smoking, so I'm going to put off smoking. I do not have a problem with smoking. haven't smoked since I was nine. Okay, you're you're awake. Um, The the reality is, is we think we got to do something. No. When you come to the realization, this is something that's got to go, you submit yourself to God. Okay, God, we, we can do like I've always done. I can try for two weeks and fall on my face. Or, Lord, you can do what's necessary in my thinking, in my heart, whatever. But I know this doesn't please you, and I'm looking to submit myself to you in this area. Wow. There's a novel concept. God actually living his life through you instead of you trying to live in a way that's pleasing to him. Because you can't. Okay? And you can go back and read more of the verses if you want to. How about James chapter 1? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. I keep on hearing people say, oh, Lord, give me patience. Don't do that. You know how God gives you patience? He brings trials into your life. He's already going to do that, so why would you ask for more? And we, we respond to trials. God, why are you doing this to me? Because you asked, you dummy. You know, I... Oh. When you look at James chapter 1 as a whole chapter, God uses trials to stretch your faith to make you learn how to rely on him more, to show you something that's in you that's got to go. 
And it says, therefore, laying aside. That, that's the idea of, okay, I can put this one down. I don't have to keep carrying it. Laying aside all that remains in w- wickedness and receive with uh, humility the engrafted word which is able to save you. So how am I going to change? I'm going to be believing what God says, not making an effort to stop doing something. Believe what God says. That's the process of sanctification. So it's part of our inheritance. How about number three? Gifts for service. Romans 12, 3 to 6, 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14, 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. You're going to see the lists of gifts and how you're supposed to use them and stuff like that. Some people believe you only have one gift. Some people believe that you have one gift with a helping gift. I personally believe you have some measure of all the ones you're expected to do. Which ones are you expected to do? All of them. Okay, I'm expected to give. Is that my gift? I know givers. And compared to them, nope, that's not my gift. Therefore, I don't have to give, right? Try again. See, I'm expected to give. So therefore, I'm enabled by the Spirit of God to give. Now, I'm expected to evangelize. That one is not a gift, by the way. That's a responsibility and a duty. Everybody is called to do it. Some people do do it a little bit more clearly, a little bit easier, I probably fall into that category. It probably falls under the concept of prophecy rather than evangelism, declaring the Word of God. Okay? Some other people serve better than I think I do because they're just gifted in that. Are they expected not to evangelize? Sure they are. So they're gifted to do it, but not the same measure. And we're supposed to operate according to the measure of grace given to us. Okay, how about number four, future hope. Ephesians 1 to 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in his saints. Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. And then Colossians 3.24, knowing that, the, uh, that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And 1 Peter 1.4, an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. This is future hope. I, I am looking forward to, I am believing God that someday this mortal is going to put on immortality. This corrupted is going to put on incorruptibility. And on top of that, we're going to reign with him, which means part of my inheritance is the reigning as well as, okay, I, I don't want Mel- Belleville, especially if any of the rules that are presently enacted continue. You know, just don't want Belleville. Not interested in New York either. Now, Gustavus, Alaska, that's a pretty cool place. <laughs> just saying. But uh, that's all part of our future hope. Okay, H- how about future position? This specifically is dealing with reigning with him. If we endure, if we continue walking with him in the struggle against sin, the world, the flesh, the devil, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. How about Revelation 20, verse 4? 
and I saw thrones and they that sat on them, uh, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness uh, to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he who has part of the first resurrection over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What do you think our future hope includes? Reigning with him. How about your uh, and your future position? And then you deal with rewards. Now, time is already gone. Let me quickly fill in the blanks for you. Rewards, they're based on works. Okay? It implies judgment. Now, when I say implies judgment, a reward is an indication that someone has taken a look at things and said, hey, I'm going to give you this. Okay? Now, 2 Corinthians specifically says we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? What's going to be judged there are good works. Good works are going to be defined as spirit-led, filled activities. They are not teaching Sunday school because you got half a brain and know how to prepare a lesson. They are spirit-filled activities. <clears throat> that may include teaching a Sunday school lesson. <coughs> Excuse me. But it might be ministering to your neighbor. It might include all kinds of things. Rewards uh, based on works. Works uh, would include words, thoughts, attitudes. And how about fruitfulness? John 15, abide in me. My words abide in you. You will bear much fruit. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And then number two, diligently seek him. So, believing that He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek Him, letter A, walking by the same understanding that saved us. Now, this is one of the verses I wanted to get to, so let me uh, read it for you. Galatians 3, 2 and 3. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Did you get saved by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? By the hearing of faith, right? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you are now being made perfect by the flesh? Uh, whole point being is sanctification happens exactly the same way as salvation did. You're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift. You're sanctified by grace through faith, that not of yourself, it's a gift. All you have to do is diligently seek Him. You don't got to change you. He'll take care of that. By the way, that means that someone else doesn't have to change them. Yeah, but they have a problem with, uh uh-huh, I know. They do. And you, loving them, accepting them, not affirming that what they're doing is right, but understanding they're in that process too, and they need to learn how to walk with Him so that they can change. Um, I've got a bunch of other verses there. You can look at them yourself. Letter B, personal responsibility. <laughs> personal responsibility indicates intentional effort. means you're actually going to be part of the process. How are you going to be part of the process? Well, first of all, the Word of God. If you're not in the Word of God, 
It's not that the Spirit can't change you. <laughs> he will, but it's probably going to take a little bit longer. And if you think it's already taken too long, <laughs> yep, I understand. Totally understand. But we got to be in the Word. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to change us from glory to glory, to make us look more like Jesus. How about prayer? Ephesians 6.18 and 1 Timothy 2.1-12. We're to be praying always. Can I, can I say something here about prayer? You should not be worried about what someone's going to think about your prayer if you pray publicly. You are talking to your Heavenly Father. You're speaking from the perspective that you presently live in. And if that is a little bit further ahead or a little bit further behind than the people that you're around, the next part will apply to them. You're not there for them. You're talking to your Heavenly Father. Shouldn't be ashamed. And then, of course, number three, evaluation. <laughs> here, here, here's a, a verse that I want you to think about. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And I know there is laid up for me in heaven a crown of righteousness. How do you all feel about your walk? Have you done everything that you could and therefore complete confidence, ready to meet them? Or are you sitting there saying, you know, if you could just wait a little bit longer, you know, maybe I'll figure this thing out. I, I've been like that for a long time. I, I understand. Okay. How did Paul get to the point where I'm not worried about it? I'm going to see him. There's no torment. There's no fear. Fear involves torment. I've walked in love. Whatever's going to burn up is going to burn up. Not a thing I can do about yesterday. But I know right now I'm good. How did that happen? Evaluation. Look up some of these verses here. They're actually taking the time to consider what they've done. They're evaluating it. They're submitting themselves to God. Okay, Lord, I didn't do so good uh, earlier, but you know, continue to work in my heart so maybe I can do it better next time. Okay? And then, of course, the one another's. In the top set of verses, you're going to see kindness, love, preferring one another. Th this is intentional. I actually have to think about some other people as better than me. Over and over and over again, the Scripture teaches that. As parents, one of the things that you ought to be teaching your kids is the preciousness of others, that someone else is just as important as you are. A lot of our parenting today makes so-and-so a princess, makes so-and-so a prince, and they're the only ones that are important. I'm sorry, that is unbiblical. And then, of course, number two, put up with, forbear, forgive. Forbear to put up with. <laughs> you got to put up with other Christians? Yeah. Says it over and over and over again. Why are we doing it? Because we love them. We know that God's got them in the process. And he will make them more like Jesus. And Lord willing, they're going to forbear with me because I'm going to blow it somewhere in the rush. And I'm in the process. And God's going to make me like Jesus. So in the meantime, continue to put up with me. Love me. Rebuke me where I need rebuke. Encourage me where I need encouragement. But that is walking by faith because he is, 
and he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love, for your care, for your patience. We ask that you would continue to open our hearts to the truths of your word and that we might be able to walk by faith so that you not just be pleased, but that you would be glorified in the eyes of those around us, both believer and unbeliever. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Notice keeping our eyes on him, the author and finisher of our faith. It's not a matter of doing something more. It's a matter of the same faith that God gave us to get into it. We walk by it. We're looking unto Jesus. We were looking unto Jesus then. He's the only way I can get in here. Well, he's the only way that I'm going to get through all of this too. So be in the word. Be in prayer. Talking to your father about any number of things. More than just the sick people in church. Not that we can't pray for them. We're going to do that today. Uh, those of you that are involved, please come up front when you're done. But uh, the reality is, is what about your walk? Lord, give me grace. Teach me how to walk by faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have it all planned out. You got it all figured out. You know exactly what each of us need in every situation. Give us grace to remember who you are, what you're like to give you your proper place in our life, that we may walk by faith and please you, not only in the behavior, but in, in the being. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We hope God has encouraged you with today's message. Thank you for joining us at the Edgemont Bible Church. We'd love to have you visit us if you're ever in the area. For directions, more information, or to support the ministry of Edgemont Bible Church, please go to our website at edgemontbiblechurch.org. That's edgemontbiblechurch, all one word, dot org. You can also follow us on Facebook at Edgemont Bible Church, where the Sunday morning message is broadcast live.